Cowabunga. Totally tubular. Wicked. Excellent. Awesome Nova? Okay, you get the idea. These are but some of the phrases best associated with one of the most popular fads of the late 80s and early 90s, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Turtles, a group of four mutant reptiles who just so happen to know the sacred art of ninjutsu, roam the streets of Manhattan, defending the weak, upholding the law, and eating about as much pizza as a teenager could handle. The Ninja Turtles were an immediate draw with younger crowds. Their skills as ninjas was one such attractive quality, but it was also their attitudes. They were streetwise and exciting. They could joke about as well as they could fight. They had all the things a teenager would desire, which is why their ultimate nemesis, the Shredder, targets the ones most unlike them. For this episode of The Writer's Lens, we'll be looking at the Ninja Turtles' most pressing of villains. Not the Shredder, actually, but another more realistic antagonist, the Nihilist Outcast. I'm JCL Felto, and this is episode 74 of The Writer's Lens, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and how nihilism finds young people. Listener, welcome back to the Writer's Lens. I'm your host, J.C. Alfelto. And uh, you're probably jumping in <clears throat> thinking, well, why on earth are we talking about nihilism? How on earth is that even tied to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, I will get to that. But first, a few items of note, as I, I like to run through here before uh, we get into every episode. Uh, the Writer's Lens, if you're checking me out right now on iTunes or Google Phone or whatever you're doing, uh, note I'm also available on YouTube. Spotify, everything else that's pretty much out there that has podcasting. If it's a better avenue for you to check out the podcast, be sure to hop on over there. Uh, if you were referred from a friend, or if you're going to refer to a friend, to uh, send them over to one of those different avenues. Uh, I know that podcasting is uh, one of those spaces now where anybody and everybody's trying to fill up those <laughs> those spaces. So I'm out there there. <clears throat> um, also, be sure to check out my other podcast, The Narrative Wars, which is also available on Spotify and all of the other places that I just me uh, mentioned, iTunes and the like. Uh, not on YouTube yet. I do not have The Narrative Wars on YouTube just yet, but that may be something that's forthcoming in the future. I'm not quite sure yet, but we'll see how, how things play out here. It is 2020. Anything can happen. And a special shout-out uh, for this episode to Brenton Bestwick and Greg Filson of the BXG Podcast where I was featured recently uh, to talk about my writing endeavors and my podcasting. So those guys talk about nerd culture, pop culture, uh, uh, one of which Brenton is an old friend of mine from back in the day when we were just youngsters, uh, wet behind the ears, didn't know much about life, and now we get to talk on podcasts together. Uh, Brenton, another fellow creative out there, uh, thanks again for having me on your podcast. And Greg, it was nice to meet you, uh, at least virtually, because again, it's 2020 and most of our meetings now with new people are through Zoom, if, if that's the way we meet people. So thanks again, guys. Be sure to check out their podcasts if you're interested in uh, that kind of stuff. They talk about video games, movies, pop culture, all kinds of stuff, uh, if you're ever interested in going and checking it out. So, all right. So on to today's show, which is all about nihilism, nihilism, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which again, you're probably going, how on earth did we arrive at this theme and this topic for this episode? Well, first of all, what exactly is nihilism or nihilism? I guess I, I probably should just stick with one pronunciation for the sake of this episode. Nihilism, as it were, is uh, it's essentially the rejection of any kind of moral or uh, religious principle 
uh, I guess more bluntly stated, it's just a complete rejection that life has any higher order or structure to it. Uh, life is meaningless at the end of the day, and that whatever we do has little to no meaning once everything is over. So it's a, it's a pretty depressing outlook on life. It's not something that I would latch onto myself, especially at this point in my life. But it's a, it's a thing that people do believe in, some folks do have, um, even if they don't consciously admit it, they would say perhaps in passing, look, nothing's meaningless, just do whatever you feel is right. It's not quite atheism or anti-theism, but it's really close. I, I would put it up there with, with those. I mean, atheism at the end of the day would be something that would eventually trip into the world of, of nihilism in some way. Uh, antitheism perhaps in the same boat, even though those two can kind of latch on to more humanistic approaches and and other philosophies about life. But, but nihilism is really where I think the pit of despair really is and where it re- resides because it's it, it's definitely when the person doesn't see anything good, uh, but they also say they don't see anything bad either. Everything is just meaningless, whatever you do. So there is no good and evil. There's no greater struggle in life. There, the struggle is really just in your head and there is nothing else uh, you know, to, to essentially fight against in order to overcome because everything at the end of the day is meaningless. Now again, what does this have to do with the original Ninja Turtles movie? Uh, I want to I posture this by talking about the heroes and the villains again and why this is important uh, to why I think that nihilism fits in. And the Turtles, undoubtedly in their story, they're, they're the primary heroes, right? Uh, but so is their master, Splinter, the rat. You know, so for those who don't know anything about Ninja Turtles, there is a mutated rat as well named Splinter who teaches them all about ninjutsu. Now, the villains of the story are also multi-layered in that there is the Foot Clan and then their, their master as well is Shredder. So what we're going to explore here is important because it sets the precedent for who's fighting who and what real battles are being fought throughout this, this story. And I'll skip kind of to the end here and we'll kind of work our way backwards. But the very last fight scene of this film is or, or, or has the Turtles fighting Shredder. And the whole story has been building up to this. You know, there's the four Ninja Turtles, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, Donatello, and they're fighting against the Foot Clan, and then, fi- and then eventually they wind up against the Shredder. And the Shredder is like the final boss of the video game. He's the final boss of the story. He's the big bad villain. Um, he's like the Thanos of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is, he's the final thing that they have to go up against to win and defeat this evil in the, in the narrative of the story. But they can't beat him. Okay, they, they can't actually defeat him uh, during this battle. And it takes Splinter showing up at the very end on, the, on that rooftop. Again, we're going back to the original film. To show up and confront Shredder and defeat him instead. Now, this is really important for the story because, to me, it shows how Splinter and Shredder are actually the rivals in this tale. It's not Shredder versus the Turtles, necessarily. Because the Turtles have been fighting the Foot Clan, for the entirety of this movie. Shredder and Splinter are the ones who have the backstory. They're the ones who who know each other from a past life. Uh, Oroku Saki is Shredder's real name. And if you recall from the story, if again, if you haven't seen this film, I highly suggest going and watching it. It's a great tale. <laughs> uh, Splinter explains about halfway through the film to a young boy named Danny, who's a runaway. He explains to him that Orokusaki broke into the, into the house of his master, Hamato Yoshi, and killed him over the love of a woman. 
Uh, so this is kind of a broken, tragic love story. But uh, Oroku Saki, who becomes the Shredder, kills um, Hamato Yoshi, who uh, owned Splinter when he was just a rat, and then slices off the ear of the rat after the rat attacks uh, Saki uh, after he kills his master Yoshi. Now, the interesting thing here to note is that Splinter is, of, of course, a rat, right? <laughs> He's a rat, and, and the, one of the more insane parts of the story is that he was a rat who mimicked the movements from his cage of his master, Hamato Yoshi, learning the sacred art of ninjutsu. Now, this is before he gets mutated by the ooze and turns into this, uh, you know, five-and-a-half-foot-tall uh, English-speaking rat and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, so you, you kind of have to take this a bit with a, I don't know, grain of salt or whatever you might say, uh, or more fantastical element of the story. But Splinter and Shredder are really the rivals in this story. They are the ones who are, the, here's the hero of this tale, and here's the hero, or the villain of this tale is Shredder, and, and the hero is Splinter. They're the ones who are equals in terms of the rivalry, because it's catalyzed against one, they're catalyzed against one another. The Turtles, conversely, are against the Foot Clan. And they're against the Foot Clan primarily because they're both underlings in some sense. They're both students of the master. Okay, so Splinter is bringing up the turtles. He's bringing up the four of them to become ninjas and, and fighters and learn the, the ways of the ninja. And Shredder is doing the same thing with the Foot Clan. He is building up this army, this group that he is sort of fathering in some sense. But notice the juxtaposition here that Splinter is a good guy. Okay, he's a good father. He's a good master. He's trying to bring up the turtles to be humble and to learn, uh, you know, to uphold the law, to be righteous and all these other kinds of things. Uh, he's a good master. All right, he's, he's the good master of the story. Shredder is the bad guy. Okay, he's a murderer. He's a villain. He's taking advantage of people such as Danny, who I mentioned earlier, that is, has the story told to him from Splinter, who's a runaway, who's an outcast. And Shredder specifically targets those who are downtrodden, who are uh, sort of juvenile delinquents, who are the ones without family lives to become members of the Foot Clan. And this is a theme that runs throughout the entirety of the story. Many, many, many times the Shredder or the Foot Clan or, or these scenes that we get inside the villain's headquarters, if you will, points to this idea that the Foot Clan are basically a bunch of uh, misfits who are brought together over the singular purpose to be to belong to something that they want to belong to a community somehow, and Shredder is giving that to them. He says, "Look, become part of my family. I will give you an identity. I will give you purpose. I will make you part of something greater. And on top of that, you get to be a ninja who wears a mask and you get to rob from people and do my bidding. But hey, here's the deal: you get to be part of a community finally." You don't have to have a life that is broken and full of suffering and essentially meaningless in some sense. Because Danny that I mentioned earlier is the son of April O'Neil's boss. All right, so again, if we're going to look at the, the way all this is all connected, April O'Neil is the female reporter who ends up learning about the turtles. She befriends them. Her boss in this story has a young boy named Danny. Danny steals from his dad regularly. They have a very sort of uh, tumultuous relationship, Danny and his father. They don't get along. They're, uh, there's no mother in the picture, from what I understand, in the story. I don't know if she's passed. It's never really explained. But either way, Danny's a teenager, just like the Ninja Turtles. He's a teenager. 
and he's caught up in the wrong crowd. He's making bad decisions, okay? Now, I'm not trying to say that teenagers have to be crystal clean and, and you know, have to be Captain America Jr. or anything like that. Uh, but what I'm trying to point out here is that at these pivotal years for a teenager's life, there are decisions being made about how they want to live the rest of their life. And I don't mean choosing colleges. I don't mean choosing vocations. I'm talking about developing character traits, developing a sense of purpose, developing a sense of meaning, developing, hey, what is my current situation in life? Do I feel like I belong here? Do I feel like I have community? Do I feel like whatever situation I'm in is good? And I feel secure about where I'm at. I don't have to go looking elsewhere. And clearly, Danny does not. He doesn't feel like he has that with his dad. He feels maybe broken or lost in some sense. And so what happens? He gets attracted to these outlier groups, these peer groups, who eventually get him into the Foot Clan. And he's slowly but surely being assimilated into this group. Now, he doesn't become a full-on ninja. Spoiler alert, If again, if you have never watched this movie. Uh, he never actually gets fully assimilated into the Foot Clan. He ends up leaving it, basically, by Splinter's uh, plea with him after telling him the story about Oroku Saki, who becomes the Shredder, and his master, Matayoshi. So Danny rejects this, uh, eventually rejects this, but not before we li- we follow him along his path where he's being further and further brought into the f- into the fold with this group, who on the outside looks like a great group. Like, hey, you know, come and join us. Uh, you know, we're the Foot Clan. We're this sort of underground movement. You know, we're going to unite everybody. Uh, all this kind of stuff. And here, their real purpose is to basically cause chaos, to steal from people, to take things from others unlawfully. Again, this is super important to understand because there are so many different groups and movements that can happen, even in today's culture, it's 2020, that are like this, that on the outside look like a great thing, but on the inside, their purposes could be uh, pretty nefarious or insidious in some way. Uh, veiling itself as community. Because again, if you don't find community at home, if you don't find community with close family, close friends, you're going to go looking elsewhere because that's how human beings are. They're going to go looking elsewhere. So come back with me to the turtles. Splinter, he's a good dad. Okay, he's a good master. He brings up the turtles. He's trying to teach them how to become uh, better individuals, adopting certain uh, certain sort of uh, transcendent principles about sticking together and and letting go of your anger, channeling it properly, all these kinds of things. There's this really kind of sweet scene, I guess, if you could call it that, between Splinter and Raphael in the beginning of the story when Raph kind of goes off the handle, goes off by himself one night, and he's sort of the hothead of the group. Uh, he has the red bandana out of the out of the colors, which is, again, I think is uh, purposeful because red is usually associated with, with passion and, and heat and anger. And so... Splinter pulls him close one night by candlelight and just talks to him about his anger and says, you know, I, I've tried to help you with this, but still more remains. And and there's this really nice scene where Raph starts to sort of break down and he starts kind of crying about the fact that he can't figure out what to do with this, but he's, he's making himself vulnerable in front of Splinter to say, hey, you know, I don't know what to do about this. I got all this angst. I got all this pr- these problems. I got all this anxiety in me and it's coming out. And Splinter puts his hand on, his, on Raph's head and says, I'm here, my son. I'm here. Again, this sort of tenderness, this intimacy that you see between the master and his students is important because that's truly what young people are looking for. They're looking for a hand that comes upon them and says, look, I'm here for you. 
All right, I'm here for you. I'm not running away. I'm here to listen to what's going on. And con- again, contrast this with the Foot Clan. Shredder is this character who literally is covered in razor blades. <laughs> okay, he's literally covered in razor blades, sharp objects. Is he the type of dad you can get close to? No, he's not at all. But his messages are sharp. All right, his his words are very cutting, if you will. You'll make us all proud. Uh, you are part of this group now. You will become part of the clan. You know, you are part of the foot, proud members of the foot. You know, there's this real, like, sort of machoism. And he's projecting this identity onto these young people as though you will eventually become like me. You'll be tough. You'll be strong. You'll be able to overcome your circumstances that are very terrible right now. Again, these folks from the outside coming in. You'll be able to overcome your circumstances and become something bigger than what has made you, right? So to me, this is brilliant, all right? Uh, And this is just something recently that, again, you might think I've delved too deeply into this story, but to me, it's brilliant, the layers of storytelling in the original Ninja Turtles. And again, reason why I think the Ninja Turtles have been so successful is because of this first film, because of all of these different layers of good versus evil that are going on, and this element that comes back to the idea of family. But swing around with me again to our first point about heroes and villains. Splinter is the only one who can take down the Shredder because they're both masters. This, again, is super, super important to understand. The Turtles have not been fighting against Shredder for the entirety of this film. They've been fighting the Foot Clan. They've been fighting other teenagers. They've been fighting other young people who are masked, who have been conformed to turn into just uh, faceless foot soldiers. Again, this metaphor is incredibly significant. These outliers, these outcasts, who were told they were unique, who told they were special, they will become something greater than themselves, conform. They all become these mask-wearing conformists who are part of the Foot Clan to just be part of a community that will do the bidding of Shredder, their, their dad and their master. Again, the turtles, more unique. They're all turtles. They all have different colored he- uh, uh, bandanas. They have different weapons that they use. One has a bow. One has, a, you know, one has two swords. One has uh, nunchucks. The other one has twin psi. They're unique. They're di- they're different. They have different differing skill sets with different weapons. Again, I could go on and on here with the metaphors. Okay, this is <laughs> that this is. The, I bet you never thought the Ninja Turtles were this deep, but they are. <laughs> so, so just even that goes to show the strength in the diversity of the skill sets that the Turtles have and the and the reason for why they're able to, be, to beat these foot soldiers because the foot soldiers are essentially made to be exactly the same. Every single foot soldier is the same. Same skill sets, same abilities. No one gets to, gets to elevate to the next level of, of leadership in this group. You all just have to fall in line, become conformed to this idea that you are a member of the foot. That's it, right? That's it. Shredder's the main guy. He tells you what to do. You don't really get a say, but hey, you get to have community. You get to be part of a community. That's the trade-off. That's the big trade-off there. So, of course, the trade-off with being part of the Ninja Turtles family is that you'll have meaning and purpose. You'll you'll be able to be your own person. Um, but, hey, you still have to subscribe to the idea that we're a family. You still have to subscribe to the idea that there's a master in this house, which is Splinter, and you have to listen to him, and you have to care about the fact that he has ni- he, he has good things to say about you. So, again, the, these these dynamics of the family, these dynamics of... The two sides, the Shredder's family versus Splinter's family with the Ninja Turtles. Now, of course, they couldn't name this film 
Master Splinter versus Master Shredder, all right? Because that would have totally turned off people and then <laughs> it never would have been exciting. But the fact of the matter, to me, again, exists that the real enemies of this story are not the Turtles and the Shredder. I, I know that they're always touted as such, but the way the story plays out, and again, you know, even the Turtles creators can say this in later films, hey, you know, the Turtles are against Master Shredder, he's their main enemy, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's the guy behind all of it. But for the purpose of this story, the Turtles are battling against uh, a group just like them who would seemingly be outcasts who are trying to be part of a family unit, but they have nothing in their life that they, that they see that they can look forward to, that they can be a part of. And so they join this organization to find meaning and to find purpose. But in reality, the, the meaning, the purpose that they've been given is being handed down by a tyrant. It's being handed down by somebody that's going to make them become uh, deviants, make them believe that uh, all of life is suffering, all of, all of life is about oppression, and you have to overcome your oppressors, all this kind of stuff. And that's not really the means by which to, to live your life. You know, that's not really the means by which to live your life. The more of the means to live your life by is to uh, repair family broken units, um, to usher in grace and forgiveness for those. I mean, that's another part of this story that's great is that when Splinter is kidnapped in the Ninja Turtles story, the Turtles actually have to bind together without their master. They're almost lost without their, their father figure, without Splinter being in the mix. They have to come together. They actually have to learn how to become more like their master, which would be to show forgiveness, to show grace to one another, so they can actually go save him. Uh, because there is contention between them uh, throughout most of the story, which, again, is great. Leonardo and Raphael have this very uh, sort of contentious relationship. I know I'm saying contentious a lot, but, hey, I'm a wordsmith. I think it's a good word. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yes, Splinter is the one that has to take down Shredder, not the Turtles. And, and if the story had ended with the Turtles beating Shredder at the end, beating Orokusaki at the very end, I think the story would have been... It would have fallen flat. It would have totally missed in that arena at the very end because there's that just wonderful scene when Splinter shows up, he saves the turtles, reveals who Shredder is. Shredder takes off his mask and he has this big scar on his face from when Splinter attacked him as a, as a normal rat years and years and years ago. And the turtles then realize they're out of their league. They back up, you know, they go, I think Raphael says something to the extent of like, it's him, you know, like he realizes what they're up against and backs off. Because they know, I can't beat this guy. Like, we're not going to be able to beat this guy. This is not our fight. This is our master's fight. He's going to take care of this. And he does. Uh, so, I know I probably bounced around a bit in this episode between this idea of, of nihilism and who are the true enemies of this story. But I really wanted to hit home uh, just this concept of how when family and community is broken down and that is pulled apart in us and that intimacy, that personal touch, that reality that, you know, dad, mom, or uh, not together or, or, or come from a broken uh, area, inevitably those that are the offspring, the children that come out of that union are going to look elsewhere. They're not going to look to their parents anymore for uh, you know, for security, for community, things like that. They're going to look to their peers. So they're going to look to some other figure that's going to give them something. And this happens naturally anyway. Even, you know, even the most 
uh, secure of, of families or the, or the best of relationships between mom and dad, their children are going to look to others for guidance and, and uh, you know, admiration towards other people. I mean, that's, that's going to happen naturally, okay? I'm not saying that's not going to happen. But in the grand scheme of things, the grand scope, if that family unit is disturbed in some way, then young people will be looking in other places for community, for belonging, and all those kinds of things. And when you don't have a really good example of that to cling to, you're going to accept just about anything for the sake to be belonging to anything. All right? That's typically what happens. And this story does a great job of, of just exploring that and explaining that. I mean, Danny, who is this sort of side story uh, piece in all this, who has the backstory of Splinter explained to him, April struggles with him, the, you know, the, the turtles save him at one point. He really is a very important plot point or plot dev uh, device because he's he's kind of the guy that's walking in both worlds. You know, he is part of the Turtles at one point. He's part of the good guys, but he's also playing with the Foot Clan. And then he has to make this very uh, intense decision. Hey, am I going to keep going down this path with the Foot Clan? Or am I going to reject it and leave and, uh, and essentially get out of this organization and, you know, find and repair my, my, my family structure. In fact, he does. And, and, and that's the other really great thing about the end of the story is that he finds his dad and uh, there's like this embrace and his dad says, look, I was worried sick about you. Where have you been? And Danny's like, I'm just sorry. You know, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry, dad, that I ran away. And basically the idea is, you know, they live happily ever after or they, they repair that broken relationship. So really, really good stuff. Really good stuff in this story. I I would think that many of us, I mean, when I sat down to to start analyzing this uh, tale, I I myself was like, wow, there's a lot in here that I can cover. But this was the big one. This was the really big thing that I wanted to discuss in the scope of the Ninja Turtles and and just uh, what it is. I think that they're really hammering home with this tale is that it really is about family. It's a, it's a, it's about community and and fighting back against nihilistic ideas of meaninglessness and, and no, I don't have purpose for my life, everything's meaningless. But if I do end up finding community, what does that look like, right? What does that look like? And that's what the Foot Clan, what Shredder is trying to do is prey on those who have abandoned those principles because of something that has happened in their life or something that has occurred in their family that would make them more vulnerable to joining an organization like that. So just some, some food for thought there on that topic. Uh, as well. So so that's it for, for this episode of The Writer's Lens. I, I hope you enjoyed this incredibly big, deep dive <laughs> into the Ninja Turtles, one of my favorites from as a kid. Uh, it does make me remember all of the action figures and the, the, the movies and the, the cartoon and the, the memorabilia. And there was like, I think there was even a musical tour at one point. It was called like the Coming Out of Their Shell Tour. I had that on VHS. For those who can remember what VHS is, God, God bless you, man. If you remember VHS, my daughter just the other day asked me what this was. We were at my parents' house and asked me, what's this, daddy? And it was a cassette tape. She had never seen one of those before and she had no clue what it did. So I, I, I definitely felt old when that, when that happened. <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, guys, it's still 2020. Hang in there. Uh, we're almost there. Uh, and uh, we'll continue to get through it. But I'll have some more content for you and some other news uh, in the near future. So be sure, like I said, to like, share, subscribe, uh, or send it off to a friend who might enjoy these episodes here on the writer's lens to give yourself a little bit of a break from all the monotony and craziness out there that 2020 has given us. 
And again, I appreciate all the feedback and the listens. Uh, the podcast continues to go pretty strongly in spite of the pandemic and just uh, just everything else that's happening. So stay safe, guys. I'll catch you with you again soon. This is JC Alfelto for the Raiders Lines.